Psalms 9. Let's go to Psalms 9. We're going to continue our talk, our, our lessons this morning on the issue of eternal judgment. And we've been looking at the doctrine of eternal judgment. We've been talking about the issues of hell and lake of fire and uh, the uh, issue of uh, eternal judgment. That's what it's called. But we're going to do, we've been doing it first. Here's the doctrine. It's a real thing. It's and so forth. But now we're going to look at it from a dispensational viewpoint. And in scripture, there are two major passages on eternal judgment that always are brought up. Luke 16 and Mark 9. Now, Luke 16, we're going to look at today, because that's hell and time past. Mark 9 is hell and the lake of fire in the future. And then when we get those two done, then we're going to talk about us today. Okay? Can we do that? So this morning, we're going to be talking about hell, time past. What's happening in the, in the past. So what's happening really from Genesis through Acts chapter 9, what's going on, what's transpiring, how, what is the viewpoint, what, what's happening uh, in, 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 the, in, in the category of hell, okay? Psalms chapter 9, we're just going to run some verses, we just kind of put these in your mind, put them where your thinking goes, and just kind of see what's happening here. Look at Psalms 9, verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. The wicked shall be turned where? Into hell. There's, all right, into hell. Come over to chapter 16. So where do the wicked go? They go to hell. Psalm 16. Psalm 16. A psalm of David. A Mitchum of David. Uh, the issue of instruction that's going to come here. Verse 8. David is speaking. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rejoice in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thy Holy One to see corruption. Well, wait a minute. I thought the wicked went to hell. Well, David is not a wicked. He's a saved man. And where did he just say he went? Hell. So what's going on? Now, we're in time past. Now, by the way, hold on to here. Look over with me at Acts 2. I get the by the ways out of the way here this morning, maybe. Look at Acts 2. Hold on to Psalms. Oh, man. Hold on to Psalm 16, because I want to show you something. Look at Psalm 16, verse 10. For thou will not leave my soul in hell. You see that? Now, look at Acts 2 and verse 27. Peter, quoting this verse, says, Because thou wilt not leave my soul in, what? Hell. Now, what happens is, is the Hebrew word for hell is sheol. S-E-O-L, if you need it, okay? But the Greek word for hell is what? Hades. But they're both what? Hell. So don't let somebody play a little language game on you. You've got to know the Hebrew. No, it's hell. Greek word? It's hell. So we're talking about the same place, okay? So now go back to Psalms. So where do the wicked go? To hell? Where do the saved go? To hell. They don't go to heaven. We'll talk about why in, in, in just a few minutes. Look at Psalms 55. Psalms 55. Psalms 55. 
and look there at verse 15. Psalms 55, 15. Let death seize upon them and let them go down quickly into hell. For the wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. Where do they go? When you go to hell, where do you go? You go down, the verse says. No matter where you are on planet Earth, where is hell? Down. It's actually in the center of the, of the earth. We'll see that here in just a minute. Look over with me at the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15 and verse 24. The way of life is above to the wise, that he may depart from hell beneath. Beneath what? Beneath your feet. You die. Now let's think about this. When you die... Where does your body go? Into the grave. You, you, you guys understand? You realize that when the wicked die, their spirits go back to God, and their souls go into hell, and their bodies go into the grave. You know how you know that? You're looking at me like, huh? It's okay. It's just Sunday morning. It's just Bible study. Look, all right. So let's put a pause. Go to Job. Get Job 19. Just think this through. Job 19, Job 19, and verse 26. Job 19, 26. <clears throat> Job 19, 26. Job talking here. Though after my skin, worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Look at that. Though after my skin, worms destroy this what? He's talking about being in the grave. What's in the grave? Your body is. Okay? Now, I know what they have to do today because some governmental official figured out how to get money out of the dead. Okay? I get that. But where, where are you going? What's going on with your flesh? You're going back to the dust. Come over to Ecclesiastes. On your way, get Psalm, go back there to Psalms 9. So your body goes in the ground, in the grave, Job 19. Psalms 9, 17, where does your soul go? The wicked shall be turned into what? Into hell. Where is their soul going? For the wicked, hell. Time passed for the saved, hell. Okay? Now come over to Ecclesiastes 12. Ecclesiastes 12. By the way, we're not looking at the passage in Genesis where that says... And she died, i.e., her soul left her body. That's death. Ecclesiastes 12, look then at verse 7. Ecclesiastes 12, 7. Then shall the, shall the dust return to the earth as it was. So there's your body. And the spirit shall return unto God. Who what? Who gave it? Now let's think about that. You die. Where, where are we going to put your body? In the ground. Your soul goes to either, for us today, heaven or hell. But what is your spirit going to do? It's going to return to who? To God. He gave it. Do you see how you can figure out what's happening here? There's no gray area in this, by the way. It's pretty black and white. But what does Paul say in 2 Look over at 2 Corinthians 5. I'm a little having myself a little bit but in this. But 2 Corinthians 5, and look at verse 8. Talking about the believer, you, today. 
We're confident, I say, and willing rather to be. That issue of presently where you're at. To be present with the body. No, to be what? Absent from the body. Where'd the body go? In the ground. And to be present with who? The Lord. So when you go into the presence of the Lord, who's there? I'm talking about you. Your soul and your spirit. Because where did the spirit go back to? God. Where did you go? Went back to God. See? So what do you got going on? You got this three-step process in, in, in un unbelievers. But for you and I today, where do we go? We go right into his presence. By the way, when you go into his presence in, in chapter 5, and I'm really ahead of myself now, so let's just go back to wherever we were uh, in, uh, in Proverbs. You're naked. You don't have a body yet. You're waiting for the day of redemption. Okay? So let's get back on track. Back off the rabbit trail. Go back there to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. So when we talk about hell in time past, you, it's a place of the departed, and it's a place that's going to hold both the believer and the unbeliever. Psalm, or Proverbs 23, verse 13. Proverbs 23, 13. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Now, he's not saying that if you discipline your children, they will never die. For it's appointed unto man, what? Once to die. They're going to die. He's not saying you're going to keep them from death. All right? Verse 14. Thou shalt beat him with the rod and shalt deliver his soul from what? Hell. You see, he's not talking about the grave and dying. He's talking about a spiritual issue. So it's a, <laughs> hell in scripture is just simply the place of the departed. Come back to Psalms 68. It's not the grave. Psalm 63, I'm sorry. Psalm 63. It's a place of the departed. Psalm 63, watch David here. Psalm 63, verse 8. Psalm 63, 8. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me, but those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. Now, that's going to be a reference to the lower parts of the earth being who, where? Hell. And then there are different levels, come over to chapter 86, within hell itself. Psalms 86 and verse 13. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. There are different levels in hell. There are different uh, stations. Come over to 2 Peter chapter 2. Just watch it here. 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter 2 and verse number 4. 2 Peter 2, 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, now watch, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. You see, there's a, there's a down to hell underneath in the center of the earth, but then they're in a chains of darkness. Now come over to Jude and watch it here in Jude 6. Jude 6, 
the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness. You've heard of the bottomless pit. The Lord, Satan's going to be cast into the bottomless pit. You know, bottomless pit is just that. It's a bottomless pit. But it's a section of hell on the torment side. Okay? So where is hell? It's beneath me. It's in the heart of the earth. Come over to Luke 16. Now, let's look at Luke 16. And watch how this happens. Again, we're talking about hell and time past. Next week, we'll talk about Mark 9, hell in the future, the lake of fire. And then after that, we'll talk about hell today in the age of grace. But you have to look at this stuff dispensationally because if you don't, then you get off into universalism. And then and it's many facets of it. I use that term in a general because then you find out that, well, really, we all just sleep in the grave until one day. No, that's not scriptural at all, by the way. Then you find out, well, not everybody in hell, everybody in hell has been forgiven. They just didn't know it. How can forgiven people go to hell, the torment side here? That's, that's not biblical at all. And I know what they do with the verses. They twist them and read them and, uh, you know. So then, now we've got to come up with, at the end, everybody gets saved, including Satan and all of his guys. And it's like, wait a minute, that stuff in Revelation about you take the mark of the beast, that's pretty, pretty clear what happens to you. Oh, no, that's just not really, that's all spiritual and figurative. And, uh, no, you, dispensationally, what's happened? Luke 16. In Luke 16, Jesus Christ is going to describe hell for us in time past. He's literally going to pull back the crust of the earth and he's going to reveal the spirit world that carries a title called hell. Okay? And he's going to reach in and he's going to describe this event with two guys. And he's going to use this. Now, what he usually have 16:19. Luke 16:19. There was a certain man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at the, his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked the sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Okay, now let's stop there. Now, what's going to happen is when you get out there in Christianity or Christian dumb, D-U-M-B, okay, they all say this is a parable. But it's not a parable. If it's a parable, then the reality is worse than what's being described. Or the comfort is more than what's being described. Because a parable is just that. It's just it's it's giving some illustrations of some things that are to be here that you can see in time that demonstrate spiritual spiritual reality. Okay? It's not to teach a lesson, it's to say, here's what you see, here's some physical descriptions. He he the the um it's in Matthew 13 where he talks, gives two parables, parable of the sower, and then he interprets them so you know how to, the believer knows how to interpret the parable. The parables are never for everybody. They're for the believers, period, the little flock. And in, one of the, in the parable of the sower of the seeds, he talks about birds coming and taking the seeds. In the interpretation, he says the birds are devil, is the devil. 
And the devil, so birds in scripture represent not a good guy, but a bad thing. They, they represent the adversary. And he lays that out for you. And he begins to talk that through with the believers, the little flock. Now, you and I come along, and we're dumb-thumb Gentiles, and we think we can just oh, have a happy story here. Woo, look at this. He just loves everybody. But when you read Matthew 13, they ask him, why do you speak in parables? You know what he says? So the, law on, so the lost out there don't understand what I'm talking about. You guys get this. So this is not a parable. This is him peeling the crust back. And we have a rich man, and we have a Lazarus, don't we? We got two guys. Now, what happens is, look at verse 22. The beggar dies, and he's carried off into what? Abraham's bosom, isn't he? The rich man dies, and he's just, I love that, buried. <laughs> Now, before you think angels are going to come and collect you up at your last breath, that ain't going to happen. Why? 2 Corinthians 5 says, absent, present, boom, done deal. Okay? So they come and they deal. Now, watch verse 22, the end of the verse. The rich man also died and was buried. And in what? Hell lifted up his eyes, being where? Torments. So what side did he go to? There's a torment side. And there's an Abraham bosom side. Okay? With me? Now just watch, just notice the description here. And in hell he lifted up his what? So here's your soul. What does he say that, that, law, that rich man has? Eyes. Isn't that interesting? And seeth, Abra uh, seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. So Lazarus is here. The rich man is here. He sees Lazarus over here. By the way, that means he would know who Lazarus is. He knows who Abraham is. So there's a mentality, there's a mental ability to understand who's who. And he cried and said, Father Mercy, Father Mercy. Woo, yeah. Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger. Isn't that interesting? So what's happening with your soul? Your soul has your bodily shape. And look to it. That may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool, his, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented. So there's a tongue. By the way, there's water. So he knows what water will do. It's a refreshment. But Abraham said, son, uh-oh, remember, uh-oh, what, what are these guys doing? Now, we're talking about the torment side, aren't we? We're not talking about the bosom side. We're talking about the torment side. There's these two chasms in hell in time past. Remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy, the, thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is... What is this side? Comfort. What's this side? Torment. Now, I know what they do. They play their little Greek games, and they play their little well, well, what-if games. There's no what-if in here. There's no Greek play. Torment means what? Torment. That's what it means. Torments, physical discomfort. 
emotional, mental discomfort. Why? Because he's remembering he got all the good things. He remembers the times that he doesn't take the opportunity to believe. What does Romans 2 say? You guys, didn't, you guys don't know that the, that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. You didn't know. You had it presented and you ignored it. You rejected it. And you know what these people are going to do in hell for all of eternity? Is they're going to remember that. And it's going to become an emotional, mental torment. Now, they're physically being tormented, but that mental, boy, don't you hate that when you get something in your head and it just bugs you and it bothers you and it bothers you and it bothers you and you're just like, you know, stop the world, let me get off, as the song says. There is a song that says that, by the way. Anyway, keep reading. Verse 26, and besides all this, between us, there is a great what? There's a great gulf fixed. So that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. You can't move around down here. Can't cross it over. Can't move from, well, where's he wanting to go? From here to here. This is fire. We'll see this when we, whoops. When we get over in Mark 9 next time, there's a fire that salts, doesn't destroy, it preserves. Best way to think about the fire is Exodus 3 with the burning bush. It's on fire, but it's not what? Consumed. Think about that. There's a great gulf fixed between. So you've got rich man in time past. That's what hell made up. Here's David. David's on this side. Remember David said, hell, Job, hell. Look at Luke 23. Luke 23. In Luke 23, the Lord's hanging on the cross, verse 42. You got the, the two male factors, verse 39, and one of the male factors went, which was hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself. But the other answered, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing that, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man had done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, now watch what he says. He calls him Lord. He doesn't say, hey, Jesus, would you do that? He says, Lord, Jehovah. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. So what's the goal here? Kingdom. What are they thinking about? Kingdom. They're not thinking about, you know, anything else but that. Now watch what the Lord says. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me, where? So this is called paradise. Not a paradise, but a paradise. So when you hear paradise in Abraham's bosom, what side are we on? We're on this side of the equation, aren't we? The good side. The comfort side. The torment side, the hell and the fire. So when we read that stuff in Psalms and the wicked are going to be cast down into hell, where did they go? Where did the wicked go? Torment side. That's where the wicked went. You with? Okay? Now, come to Matthew 12. Matthew 12 just kind of ties some information together. Matthew 12. And verse 40, 
Matthew 12, verse 40. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the where? So where are we? Heart of the earth. We're beneath your feet. We're not on Mars. We're not on the moon. There's a spiritual cap, uh, cavity in the heart of this earth, in the spiritual realm that's housing the souls of the wicked. Time past and the saved. Just men. Now, how do you know that, from the, that he's talking about that? Well, come back to Jonah. That's why I gave you Jonah. Come back to Jonah. You're going to have to take a minute to find Jonah in your index, probably. No, I'm just kidding. Jonah 1. So Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. It's right in the middle. Minor prophets. Shalom. You guys with the pads cheat. Down click, click over, you know, come on. Let's do a little Bible study here. Look at Jonah 1. Look at Jonah 1. Jonah 1, well lost. Ah. Anyway. Oh, boy, you guys are slow this morning. Man, Jonah 1, verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. But Matthew 12, 40 says, where was Jonah? In the belly of the what? The whale. So what's the great fish? A whale. Okay? Now look at chapter 2. This is high. Boy, this is really hard studying here, folks. Come on now. Jonah 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Where was Jonah? He was in hell. But wait a minute, he's in the belly of the whale. Yeah, well, if you got eaten by a whale, would you live in the whale's belly? Not no more normal, no. Okay? The acids would get you, the gurgitation, the digestive system, the out the top would all get you. It would. Why? Because that's what the whales do. Did you guys see that thing on Facebook where the whale hit the front end of that little boat and the fishers out there? And good thing that thing didn't sink. What do they do? They're, it's a big fish. But where is Jonah? He crying from hell. Fo he died in the whale's belly. He's here. But now what happens after three days and three nights? The whale comes up there and gurgitates him back up on the shore, i.e. a picture of resurrection out of hell. Because what's going to happen out here in the ages to come is these guys are going to get resurrected into that kingdom out there going into the millennial. So you got pictures here, okay? My point is in, 12, in Matthew 12, where is hell located? Heart of the earth. By the way, if you go back there to Matthew 12, just because we're here, and I like to buy the ways, you will notice that it is three days and three nights, not three nights and three days. The order of counting has been adjusted to the Gentile way of counting by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Jews count night into day. The Lord says, nope, we're counting day into night on this event. Why? Because Rome's killing him. Rome's going to crucify him. So that helps in understanding which day <coughs> that he was actually killed on. Thursday.
Okay? Now, come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's, look, let's pick some details up here about this. The Lord's hanging on the cross, and he says to the thief, you'll be with me today in paradise. All right? Going to change colors. The Lord went there, remember? He doesn't go, he doesn't go here and then here. You know why? One, he told the thief, you're going to be with me in paradise. But two, what sits in between this? A gulf, you can't move back and forth. Well, it's the Lord. He would do it. Yeah, but he would never violate the word of God. Because what did the word of God say? You can't move. He's not going to say, well, there's an exception, a, parenthesis, or a little asterisk, and I get to do it. No, he's not going to violate that. Okay? 2 Corinthians 12, you have the, the, the apostle Paul, verse 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one cut off to the where? So here's Paul. He dies, and he's caught up into the third heaven. Okay? Now, by the way, this is the Apostle Paul. And you know that by Acts 14 and the event where he's left outside of Derby is dead. And then he rises up and goes. Verse 3. Also, you know that that is Acts 14 time period because of the 14 years. Because 2 Corinthians is written roughly in Acts 20, 1920 time. And you back it up 14 and it's right in there. Anyway, verse 3. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into what? Paradise. So, somewhere between Calvary, the resurrection, and his ascension up, and 2 Corinthians 12, or I'm sorry, Acts 14, let's do it that way, paradise is moved to the third heaven. Now, who does the moving? How about God? <laughs> Duh. I'm sorry. Well, it wasn't at his ascension in Acts 1.8 because they only saw him go up. It wasn't him in hell, third day up. He just, he resurrects and he says, I, don't touch me. i got to go finish the Father's business. i got stuff to go do. Come over to Hebrews 12. Okay? Paul says in Acts 14, in the early ministry years of his ministry, he says, I got pulled up to the third heaven, and you know what was up there? Paradise. And when I stepped into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I could not what? It wasn't a foreign environment. It was an environment that I was very familiar with and comfortable being in. So much so that he probably said, don't send me back. <laughs> you know, but he's got stuff to do. All right? You know, that, that thing in Philippians when he says, I'm caught between a rock and a hard place to be with you or to be with the Lord, which is what? Far better, you know, but I need, I'm more needful to me to hear. What? He's been there. He saw that. Now, Hebrews 12. The writer of Hebrews, which is God, duh, first verse, first word, God, who it's son, God, Hebrews 12, verse 18. 
For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor into blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words. You see all that, verse 18? That's a reach back to Exodus 19 in the description of the Mosaic Covenant. He says, you are not come unto that mountain. You don't go back there. Now, Hebrews, the Hebrews, that's who we're talking to. He's talking to the Hebrews, the little flock. Now, watch verse 22. But ye are come unto Mount Zion. See that? Verse 18, ye are not come unto the mountain. You don't go back to that old covenant. You don't go back underneath that legalistic performance system over there. But you are come unto Mount Zion, under the city of the living God, the, what kind of Jerusalem? Heavenly Jerusalem. And to innumerable company of, the, of angels, to the general assembly of, and the church of the firstborn. By the way, the church of the firstborn is Israel. That's who it is which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all men, and to the spirits of, notice now, just men made perfect. God says, you guys down here in that earthly ministry, actually it's out in the ages to come, you don't go back to the old, you come over here into the new, and in the new, they're sitting in the third heaven right now waiting to come back and finish out the program. Okay? So where is, what's going on down here now? All right? It's just hell. It's the torments. It's Isaiah 5. Come back to Isaiah 5. Somebody asked me, well, what happens to hell? Well, he, by the removing, Isaiah 5, by the removing of paradise to the third heaven, what did that enable hell to do? Now, by the way, hell was never intended for humanity. It was made for the angels, the devil and his angels. They fell, but man bought into the fall, into the lie. We saw this last week. Now man's included in it. If you rebel against Christ, if you rebel against the word of God, if you rebel against the avenues of your eternal justification throughout Scripture, your destiny is the torment side, the fire side. Isaiah 5 and verse 14. Therefore hell hath enlarged itself and opened her mouth without measure, and their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he that rejoices shall descend into it. You see that thing about pomp and what does man say? What does the adversary say? Look at us. I will be like the Most High. Look at me, man. I'm man and no, no stink sits on me. I'm, this, I'm good to go. I am my own God. And what did, what did hell do? It opened up and it enlarged ex itself. By the way, you see that mouth? Hell's got gates on it. We'll see this as we go. Gates, the gates of hell. He goes, I got the key to gates, to the gate of death and hell. It's not designed to just be willy-nilly. Now, out in the, in the ages to come, you can go over there and look down in it and go, woo, look at that. Woo, don't want that again. You know. By the way, you can go over also into the river Euphrates and you can go to the zoo. It's called the, devil, the zoo of the devils. And you can see all of the demonic creatures as they sit caged up. They've come up out of that Euphrates River. There's three shafts in Scripture down into this hell. 
Once it's over in the Red Sea where, the, where Pharaoh and his people went across after Israel. Pharaoh, a type of the adversary, a type of the Antichrist, and he's consumed. Israel goes over on dry ground. Then that ground is congealed, and that, that there's an opening over there that opened up and sucked him in, left everybody else up because they weren't. Now, the, Pharaoh's a man, but the guy in that he represents, that's the issue. Right down in, then there's a shaft down at the bottom end of the Dead Sea, Bozer and Edomia, that's where Mark 9 comes in. It's called the garbage dump, Gehenna. We'll talk about that. That's going to be burned open during his second coming, so you can go over in Isaiah 66, and you can have a memorial about what sin gets you and what rebelling against God's word gets you. And it's for all the flesh on the earth to see. And when they see that, you know what they say? Let's go that way, not that way. And then you've got the third opening in the Euphrates River over there that's got the zoo mentality where all the creatures and the doleful creatures are, are presented. You see, this stuff's real, folks. Just right now, it's in the spirit realm. In the future, you're in Isaiah 5, hell just, the torment side just gets bigger. Abraham's bosom is up, and this just enlarges. So look at verse 13. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity. So my people, obviously Israel, why did they go into captivity? Because they have no knowledge, and their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. What would, what would they be thirsting for? Where, where does knowledge come from? The Word of God. They don't have the Word of God anymore. The, fat, the honorable men aren't doing their job. So what's going to happen? Therefore, hell hath enlarged itself, opened her mouth without measure, and their glory. There, the, you see that word there? It's the honorable men who have dealt with the nation in such a dastardly deed that even now the date nation, the there, they're, is sucked into this. Verse 15, And the mean men shall be brought down, and the mighty men shall be humbled, and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God that is holy shall be sanctified in righteousness. You see, this isn't about the love of God. But the love of God doesn't let you off the hook when you break the rules, break his justice, break his righteousness. The love of God says, I'm going to judge you because you didn't do what I asked you to do. And this is judgment. This is a, a horrible thing that's going to happen to them. Where are they going to go? Down into the heart of the earth. They go into the torment side. Of hell. Today, paradise is in the third heaven, waiting. So the question comes up as to why did people in time past go down into hell, paradise, and not just go on up to the Lord in the heavens, right? What's the deal? Well, come over to Romans 3. Romans 3. And let's watch this work out by the Wonderful revelation given to the Apostle Paul, given to you and I to understand some of this. In Romans 3, and then we'll go over to Hebrews 9, in time past, the redemption process was not complete. Okay? So in the paradise side, what are they doing? They are waiting. You follow that? Okay? 
The torment side, it's on. Judgment's on. That don't change. But on the paradise side, what are they doing? They're waiting for something. They're waiting for the process to be completed. Okay? Now just hold on with me and you'll see this, I, I hope. <laughs> I do, so you should, okay? 321. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In time past, the righteousness of God was manifested how? With the law. They had a legalist, they have a law to do. They have sacrifices to bring. And in time past, Israel had a redemptive process where they were to bring a sacrifice to the high priest. The high, how many times a year does a high priest go into the Holy of Holies where they meet God? Once a year, they go to the Ark of the Covenant. The cherubs are there, right? Do you remember what's in the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that buttered, and a pot of manna. But the Ten Commandments have been what? Broken. What did Moses do with them? He broke them. So what is the condition? When God looks down from heaven at that ark, what does he see? The broken law. What is needed to correct the broken law? Sacrifice, shedding of blood, atonement. So what did they do? They go out, they bring in a sacrifice, they bring in their in the temple, the tabernacle. By the way, God said, I'll meet you at the mercy seat. Wonderful word, by the way. I'll meet you over there. The priest comes in, one guy does it, puts the blood on, covers everybody. But how, how many the blood of bulls and goats was not satisfying, was it? It was a continual process, wasn't it? So the redemptive process wasn't complete. It was always being turned over and over and over. You with me? Verse 24. Romans 3.24. Folks, you got to remember in Israel's program... The, the broken law, the only way for them, the only way that God could forgive their sin was for a real sacrifice to be made that would fix the broken law. That real sacrifice was made at Calvary. And again, you have to remember Romans 4, God calling things that are not as though they already were. What did God know? Who did God know was coming? We're back in time past. They're down at the tabernacle three times a year in Jerusalem doing their thing. There's a day of atonement. They bring the sacrifice. The, they, they do everything the way they're supposed to be do. And the Lord is accepted of that in the moment. By the way, if he wasn't, what would he have done? He'd have wiped out the nation because their sins were been in the way. But what did the Lord know was coming? He knew Calvary was coming. And you see that, verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, 
whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. That word propitiation, that issue of a fully satisfying payment, but that also comes out of the etymology of the words that back up mercy seat. He's literally the blood poured out on the mercy seat that satisfies God, period, for all time. Now keep reading. To declare his righteousness for the remissions of sins that are past through the what? The forbearance of God. Now the remissions of sins that are past are not your sins of the past. Past what? Past back here. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about time past. He says, hey, look, guys, when, when Christ died on the cross, he took care of all of the sins of the past. How? Forbearance. How did he forbear? He knew somebody was coming. Here's God back here in Moses' day, and they're doing their, they're doing their thing. That's why he would tell Israel, I don't want your stinking sacrifices. I want your heart. We don't need no stinking sacrifices. We need your heart. Now, they did because that's their program, but when Paul shows up and he says, one of the hidden meanings of Calvary was when you guys are back here doing all your sacrifices, God was checking them off to your account. Back there, the account was not clear. The account was still ongoing. Calvary shows up. God says, all of that has been wiped clean now with me they're in paradise in time past because the process isn't done once the process is done what happened to them where'd they go into the heavenly Jerusalem they can't go there until the process Calvary is done so when he tells the ladies can't touch me I haven't been about my father's business come over to Hebrews by, by the way you're still in Romans look at 326 to declare, I say, when? Now we're going to talk about you now. 325, sins of the past, that belongs to time past. But at this time, we're going to declare his righteousness. That's now. You see that? So there's your timing just. Now come over to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And you get into Hebrews here. Again, God write it, wrote it, writ, wrote, 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 he wrote it. He writing to the, he's writing, he's written, man, he's writing to the Jews, and he's writing to them about this. Here's what Calvary means to you Jews, 9-11. But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Well, wait a minute, where did they go offer their stuff? And the tabernacle, here's the better one, here's the greater one, here's the real deal. Not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, not by his own blood. He, I'm sorry, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal life, eternal redemption for us. What did he do for the Jews at Calvary? He redeemed them. He died for them. And he says, that blood that you guys have been spreading all over creation, he went and crawled up on the altar, if you will, in the third heaven, and said, it is done. And the father said, yep, it is. Now go back. Got to go. We got stuff to do. Now that's figuratively okay, but that's the idea. 
what does he keep? Verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled the unclean, sanctified to purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered him without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for that by means of death for that for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance what that what did that first testament say to them you're to go down and you're to offer your sacrifices here Leviticus 23 here's the redemptive calendar you are to follow it to a T you do that everything's good you don't do that and you're in trouble of hell time damnation they would go in they would do their activity come over to chapter 10 out of a heart of faith and the word of god to them in the moment they would do calvary happens he goes to the father he says father it is finished he goes that is good job my son and by the way all of that stuff back there because of that thing in 9, I don't know if you noticed that. I tried to emphasize it, verse 15. He is the mediator of the what? The New Testament. Now we can go do the New Covenant. By the way, the New Testament is not you and I. We're the church, the body of Christ. We're not the church of the New Testament. That's coming. They got a little taste of it in Acts, but it's coming. You know how you know that? Because the Testament isn't in effect until the death of the testator. Old Testament to Calvary, New Testament on, except we interrupted it. Okay, you with me? All right, a lot of ground plowing here. Chapter 10. By the means of death, the Lord has redeemed those folks back under the Old Covenant and the Old Testament. Hebrews 10. Verse, man, where to start? But verse 18. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having, having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What's Man, that is the redemptive process for Israel. Everything they did in that Old Testament back there, he went and took care of, and he says, you see that? I did it. You see that? I did it. You see that? I did it when I hung at Calvary. I accomplished it. So their process is finished. So now what can we do? We can take them to heavenly Jerusalem. Just men's soul, spirits made perfect. Okay? Got that? Now, one, Psalms 115. One more thing on this issue about why didn't, why didn't God put hell on the moon? Why didn't he put it on Mars? You know, we all want to go to Mars. I have no idea why you want to go to Mars. Saturn looks like so much more fun. All the pretty colors and the spinning, you know. Why Mars? All right, you know, they, actually, I think you ought to go to Pluto. But you, know, you notice nobody ever goes to Uranus, you know. Everybody goes there. Everybody goes somewhere else. But why didn't God do that? Why didn't he put it out there in the universe, okay? Well, look at Psalms 115, 
and verse 16. Somebody, some caught what I said and others didn't. That's okay. <laughs> All right, Psalms 115. Look at verse 16. And the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. What was the hope of Israel all through the Old Testament? The kingdom. But where? On the earth. A literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom. Why? Because the earth belonged to who? Man. Deuteronomy 11, over there, you don't have to run over there, time's up. Moses says, it'll be as the days of heaven on earth. So there's another reason, if, you, if one's not good enough, then you got another one, okay? Daniel 2, you go over there to Daniel 2, come, come over with me to 2 Corinthians 5. You go over to, there to Daniel 2, 44 and 45, and you see the goal of prophecy. And the goal of prophecy is the Lord coming back and establishing his kingdom on the earth and ruling and reigning, okay? So the earth is the center of everything, therefore it's the center of all of this as well, all right? So hell, in time past, has two compartments. It has a torment side and a paradise side. Paradise, Abraham's bosom, the saved, the place of the comfort, the torment side, the lost, the place of the, that fire. Today, in the age of grace, all that's left in hell are the lost. The saved have been caught up into the third heaven. Okay? New Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem, however you need to do that. Now next week we'll look at Mark 9 and we're going to move out into the future. And we'll see that where they are, come in. But before we leave this morning, I want you to go back to 2 Corinthians 5. And just as 2 Corinthians 5, for you and I, verse 8, we are, what's that word? Confident. I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. That's you and I today. If you're in Christ, where are you going to go when you die? Absent this mess and present in that wonderful, glorious, heavenly, third heaven, new Jerusalem, city, well, however you need to say it in your mind to get there. But it's really in the presence of the Lord. You're not dictated by the clock on the wall that says it's time to quit, shut up, let's go. You're not dictated by the rumblings of your stomach. You're dictated by his presence directed that way. In Philippians 1, Paul, just so wonderfully, verse 23, For I am in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Can we do one more thing? Because you've got to catch this. Go back there to 2 Corinthians 12. You have to see the, catch this, and I say this because you have to understand the importance in understanding the doctrine of eternal security that Paul plays in it. Not only does he run your Romans 3, but 2 Corinthians 12, he's caught up into the third heaven, verse 4. 
now that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now that doesn't mean that Paul never spoke about this information. Paul received some information that when he was sent back, he's given the thorn in the flesh and everything, all that happens. He can't, it's not time to reveal the information yet. Okay? So when it says he is not lawful for a man to utter, doesn't mean he can never speak it. It's just not time to speak it. Okay? Now how do you know that? Well, come over to Acts 10. Acts 10. And watch Peter, God and Peter do it. Acts 10. Acts 10, verse 28. Watch the wording. Acts 10, 28, Peter, he's uh, being told to go to Cornelius. So he goes to Cornelius. Cornelius falls down, worships him. Peter tells him to get up. I'm just a man. Verse 26, I myself also am a man. Verse 28, and he said unto them, he, Peter, said to them, Cornelius and his house, I know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or to come into one of a, another nation. See that unlawful thing? What was Peter's attitude about the, it, I can't go. Matthew 10, the commission says not to come here, but keep reading. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying as soon as I was sent for. See how Peter's attitude changed? It's unlawful. God said go, now it's go. Paul says, pulls into the third heaven, sees the wonderful book of Ephesians doctrine given to him, and God says it's not time to write it yet, but you go back. So when you read Acts 14, when he gets up, he is one man who cares less about his security and his life ever since. Why? Because he saw the future that he writes about in the book of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. You see that? You and I, what does he say? You're absent from the body, and you're present in that. But what are we waiting for? We'll get into the, we're waiting for that body, which comes at the day of redemption, because what do we want to do? It's time to go to work. You don't have that. These guys here, they're here. Here in their torments. Okay? Next week we'll look at Mark 9, and we'll dig into Gehenna. We'll see that that garbage dump out there isn't where your black barrel goes. It's actually something far worse. All right? Okay. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the instruction that we can get here in it and out, uh, out of it and from it. In your name we pray. Amen. I will say as they come to...